Hey everybody, welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. This week we have Adam Hayes. And Adam, for those of you who don't know who Adam is, the if you've ever seen one of those barn scenes where somebody hangs all of their biggest bucks on the front of a barn and then pose in front of it, Adam Hayes has the ultimate barn scene. I don't know how many Boone and Crockett bucks Adam has to his name. I do know that he has four over 200 inches, correct, Adam? Yeah. And so Adam is a big, mature, whitetail buck-killing machine. Um, It's a privilege to have you on here today, buddy, and also helping us out is my buddy Evan Williams from Hoyt. What's going on, Evan? What's up, big brother? How are you, bro? Um, Doing good. So, Adam, um, I'm just wondering, you know, where are you from, number one? Um, Tell us about your your family and kind of how you got into bow hunting real quick. Sure. Well, I appreciate you guys inviting me on the uh, podcast today. Um, I'm in Ohio, sitting in Ohio right now, actually, but born and raised here. Um, you know, growing up, my dad bow hunted. So that's how I really got into it. You know, he was a traditional guy and, you know, I can remember going out and just sitting with him, uh, you know, in, in the woods, not even hunting out of stands back then. And that's been, you know, 40 years ago, but that's really where I got my start. He kind of ignited that fire with me. And I don't think he had any idea to that what extreme I was going to take it to, <laughs> but he's, he's the one to blame. Yeah. He's the one to blame for it all. Yeah. Well, that's, that's exactly what I tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my fault. It's my dad's. That's right. So when did you, uh, when did the switch kind of flip from you going from an average hunter, Adam, to somebody that was really serious? <laughs> Uh, I guess that probably when did happened. you really start making your you, the women in your life and the bosses in your life angry? Let's say let's put it that way. You mean when did I get my priorities straight? <laughs> <laughs> I think I got my priorities straight in the early nineties. Yeah, late eighties, early nineties, and it was really more more for the fact that I was tired of not killing anything big. I knew I needed to make a change. Right. It's tired of being that guy that wasn't killing anything or not shooting anything big. So that was kind of when I quit. I quit being a deer hunter and I started hunting specific deer. And that's when things really changed for me. Right. And got harder and funner at the same time. Yeah. 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 No doubt. Yeah. More time consuming. Yeah. But I tell you what, it's, uh, for me, that's really what it's about. I'd rather, I really get into, you know, finding a specific animal and figuring out what that animal's doing as opposed to just sitting in a tree and enjoying the hunt and hoping a big one shows up. I mean, I really, really enjoy and thrive on, you know, that one-on-one game with the, with the mature animal. Right. Right. So do you have kids? I do not. No kids. Unless you count my, uh, 
a Labrador, hundred pound golden retriever <laughs> that, that, that takes up more of the bed than I do at night. <laughs> she does. She know how to fetch sheds. Uh, he, yeah, he does. He does. Is he yeah. a pretty good shed dog? Yeah, not bad. When I can get him out of the house, away from mom. Yeah, uh, she doesn't like to let him go. Yeah, and uh, and um, how much shed hunting do you do, Adam? Do you do quite a bit? Is that part of your uh, of your science? It is, but I'm not crazy with it. With like most guys are, I think mm-hmm. um, I'm more interested if I can find the sheds off one of the bucks I'm after. That's what I'm focused on. Instead of picking up as many sheds as I can, I like to find the sheds of the deer that I know of and that I'm after. Right. Okay. Well. Um, the other thing about Adam is that he has a website. Um, well, you, you host of a show. Are you, are you one of the hosts on team 200? Yep. Yep. That's my show. And that, uh, that airs on sportsman's channel, correct? Pursuit channel. Pursuit channel. Gosh, man. I apologize. Pursuit. You can (laughs) slap me later. Um, so it's on Pursuit Channel. It's Team 200, and you're really focused on harvesting those big mature bucks. And he also he also owns a website and an app called called Moon Guide. Correct? Yes. Moonguide.com, and uh, the app is available on uh, all of your standard app stores. Correct? Yeah, it's available at the App Store and Google Play. Okay. And so why don't you explain what this app does to you? And I, you know, I think that you're going to tell me that some, you know, a big part of your key to success in, in chasing these bucks over the years and harvesting uh, these big mature bucks has been your moon philosophy. And that has probably led to you, uh, uh, going into business with the website and the, uh, and the app. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got into, how you kind of developed your moon philosophies and how it led to opening the website. Well, I can't really take credit for the, for originating the moon guide. Cause that was Jeff Murray. Okay. Um, he's the one that came out with it back in the late nineties. Um, <clears throat> you know, Jeff, battled a rare form of leukemia for six or seven years and you know he came to ohio and hunted with me it was his last hunt and we had talked about you know what they were what his family was going to do with the moon guide and after after jeff passed um i was able to purchase it and continue jeff's work Mm -hmm. so i can't take credit for creating it it was jeff's baby and it it has been a huge part of what i do i'm not going to say it's the only thing because sure it's been a combination of things but Mm -hmm. i've paid attention to the moon and followed jeff's theories in the moon guide for 20 years now and it's as big if not the biggest part of my success you know i'm like i said i'm all about hunting specific deer and i think there's a few things you really need to look at and pay attention to when you're hunting a big animal and, you know, it all boils down to timing and, you know, you got the wind, the weather and the moon. And those three things are crucial for timing. Right. 
any one of them can get a big deer on his feet moving, but it's when you combine two or three of those that things get bloody. And, two or three key factors. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, so when it, it, you've you've used this, the moon philosophy has been a big part of what you've done. But before you can even do any of this, you've got to find these big bucks. So yeah, um, you can't kill and, them if they're not there. Yeah. So, you know, let's say early season, you know, uh, when, what time of year do you start looking for your bucks? I'm looking year round. I mean, I never really stop looking, looking for deer. Uh, seems to be getting tougher and tougher every year to find a great big one to hunt, but that's right. yeah, really never ending. Well, it's funny you say it's getting tougher and tougher, but at the same time, it seems like there's more and more big ones being taken every year. Well, yeah, because you see it on social media. That's day, right. Maybe we're just seeing more of them. We're seeing more of it, yeah. Right, right. And I'm sure there probably are more bigger ones out there these days with everybody practicing QDMA and letting younger deer pass. Right. Doesn't, so, doesn't seem to make it any easier, though, to get access to where they're at. So how right. much time do you spend, like what, what time of year do you really start scouting hard and heavy and how much are you doing with trail cameras versus, you know, spotting scopes? Well, I think there's a time and a place for everything. And, you know, I start, you know, as soon as season's out, you know, when the woods are bare and wide open and everything's easy to see and, you know, you're out there shed hunting and, you know, I'm out looking for new properties and following up on leads on big deer. So, I mean, everything kind of starts during shed season and that's a great time to scout. And I mean, th there's just no, no replacement for scouting. You know? Right. Cause right. even if you find one, that doesn't mean you're going to kill him. You know, you got to figure out what he's doing and how he's doing it and when he's doing it and why. And, you know, the whole, the whole thing with a big deer is, trying to figure out what he's going to do before, before he ever does it and, you know, and being within bow range of him. And it's, that's just not something that you can just walk into the woods and do. At least I can't. Right. <laughs> right. Takes, yeah. It takes a lot of scouting. So when you're hunting your home turf and you're from Ohio, correct? Yeah. Okay. When you're hunting your home turf, getting that scouting done is a little bit easier, but what happens when I, I know that you're hunting multiple States? Mm -hmm. Um, what happens when you go out to a place and, uh, you know, it's known as, is big buck territory, but you don't necessarily have information on one buck. And let's say you've got 10 days in a place. Is that the, about the average length of time you're spending on an out of state hunt somewhere in that range? Yeah. When I'm traveling to Illinois or Kansas or somewhere, I try to give myself at least 10 days because you just never know what's going to happen, what the weather is going to do and crops changing and hunting pressure. So it's, it's tough enough to kill one at home in a whole season, let alone travel 500 miles from home and try to kill one in five days. It's, that's just right. tough. Right, yeah. but, I mean, I use a lot of cellular cameras to keep tabs on properties out of state. You know, right. I run, run mineral licks year round in places where it's legal to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and most of the places I hunt out of state, I've been hunting the same areas for 15 years. So, you know, I'm pretty sure. well. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, what if if you had to 
narrow down one particular time of year which phase of the rut you like you, you're more most successful in on your on your big target deer when is that i'm actually not a big fan of the rut you know i like okay. it early season or late season when when big deer on a strict feeding pattern probably okay. more so early than late okay um, but yeah when i think that's probably when they're the most predictable the most patternable Obviously, right. when they're when all they're doing is getting up and feeding and going back to bed. So, so are we talking October? Are we talking uh, September? When when are you really targeting them? October for the most part, but this is the first year I've uh, I leased a farm in Kentucky, so I was able to get you know get in the woods in September. Right. Try and try to extend my season a little bit, and I didn't wasn't doing any elk hunting this year, so. And- go after all that potential yeah you can the first part of september but um september is great i mean there's giants killed every year in september you know you Mm -hmm. catch them catch them with their guard down because they've been nice and relaxed for three or four months in the summer and no pressure that's man that's a deadly time early september Well, we're having a heck of a time on a buck that we're trying to take during October right now. I need to listen to you a little bit more. We had him at 70 yards last night, and the doggone booger comes out uh, just using a different trail than he usually does and was able to loop our tree stand. And even though we, we just sat there in the pitch black and watched him walk right into our wind there was nothing not a darn thing we could do but we'll see whether we even find him again but it's it's one of those things they are more predictable right now you never know where they're going to end up in the rut that part of the rut i love hunting it because it's exciting and you see chasing and you see all these things and fights and you can call them and all sorts of things like that but when you are targeting one particular deer it probably makes it a heck of a lot harder yeah, because you never know what they're doing near. That's they're the least patternable in in November that they're going to be all season. But yeah, there's probably more big deer killed every year in November, um, just because of the fact that they're up and moving more. And yeah, everything right. You can throw just about anything at them. But I think a lot of those deer are probably. I, I hate to say that they're killed on accident, but yeah, more so. You know, guys just being in the right place at the right time and killed a big deer instead of, you know, harvesting a specific animal. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So would it be safe to say if you were going to advise somebody, okay, you've got a you got a deer that you're targeting at home, try your best to hunt him early and late season. And then do your out of state where you're not as if you are going to travel to someplace else or some other, maybe it's not even out of state. Maybe it's just to another location in your own state, a little bit further from home. Those places where you're going into a little bit blinder, probably better to go during the rut. Yep. That's, that's kind of how I schedule a lot of my out of state stuff is towards the end of October and during November. But I mean, I've got, you know, farm and, Illinois that we got food plots in and this great late season when deer on, you know, on the food again. So um, it really depends on the situation and what you're dealing with. Right. Right. Well, um, I'm dealing with needing one to come tumbling right into my lap is what I'm dealing with most (laughs) of the time. But out of your four 200 inch bucks, what, what months were those, 
deer taken in? They were all right at the tail end of October, first part of November. Okay. You know, right. When they're still on their, still on their same pattern and they haven't really started, you know, roaming right. the countryside looking for does. You, know, right. you, you get into that last and it, it kind of varies from year to year because of the moon. Um, but usually the last week of October, the first week of November, somewhere in that two week period, you're going to get a really good, you know, a really good red moon. Right. And, you know, that's probably if I was going to focus my efforts on one time for a specific buck, it was, it's going to be right then. Cause you know, they're still doing the same thing every day, pretty much for the most part, but they're like, they're starting like a, to get the itch. Yeah. They're starting to get the itch, just looking for an excuse to get up and move early. So. Right. Right. Um, so you mentioned, you mentioned the red moon and that's a big, uh, that's a, that's a big part of your moon guide. That's what you're looking for. Can you explain to us what a red moon is? Sure. So for those guys that don't really understand, I think a lot of guys think there's something to the moon and its effect on, on deer, but they don't really right. understand what it is. Right. So Jeff's theory was every day as the moon rotates around the earth, there's two specific times when the moon is actually closer to the earth at those times than the rest of the day. And that's your overhead and underfoot moon when it's either straight up or straight down. Right. That's what triggers the tides. I mean, it, it's so significant that it moves the oceans, the largest mass on our planet. I mean, right. it, it's significant. It has right. that much pull that it moves the oceans. So the red moon is when you have either the overhead or underfoot moon occurring at prime time in the evening when deer want to move anyway, because those times change about an hour or later each day. So they're constantly rotating, but right. for a handful of days each month, you can catch that moon peaking at prime time in the evening. Most of your deer, most of your deer herd in general are going to be moving at dawn and dusk regardless. Your does, your young bucks, mature deer just don't move that much during daylight you got to stack the deck in your favor to get a big buck on his feet before dark because most of the time he's just going to lay there in his bed until it's almost dark and then get up and move when it's safe which is exactly what happened to us last night <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what happened well, um, and that's that's why i like to wait until Everything is stacked in my favor before I'll ever dive into one of those spots. You know, we talked about scouting. I scout 10 times for every day that I do hunt so that I know exactly what that deer is doing, what I think he's doing, where I need to be to kill him. And I will not go into that spot until I have the wind in the deer's favor. I want to give him the wind so he feels comfortable enough to get up and move. Uh So... I'm giving him the wind. I'm waiting for that red moon, which is just an added natural influence to push him and get him up to feed before dark, hitting right at prime time. And then icing on the cake is a, is a good weather you know, pattern 
high barometric right. pressure, a front, something. You know, like I said, any of those three factors can get a deer up and moving, but it's when you can start combining two or three of them on the same night that it's like the perfect storm. And like I said, I won't go into my kill stand until I've got at least two of those things lined up. You know, unless that buck is moving during daylight on camera for some reason, I'm not going to sit around and wait for a red moon right. to go in. Sure. I'm going to dive in and try to kill him. But for the, sure. most, for the most part, I'm not going to go in and burn my stands out until everything is stacked in my favor. Right, I think right. The toughest part of hunting big deer is actually not hunting them until everything's perfect. Guys think, well, it's deer season. I got to be out deer hunting. Well, not really. You don't. Because chances are you're going to go into your stand. You don't kill him like what happened to you last night. You had, yep. a, you know, I don't know the specifics, but that deer ended up winding you. Now the game just got tougher. Yeah. Oh, you. it definitely did. You know, it definitely. just got tougher. And each time you go in and you don't get it done, it keeps getting tougher and tougher and tougher because he's patterning you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So let me clarify one thing that you said. You said, give him the wind. Yep. Okay. What do you, what do you mean by that exactly? Are you talking about just waiting for the wind to be right? Or right. what, what do you mean by give him the wind? The right wind for the deer. When I quit hunting winds okay. that were good for me and started hunting winds good for the deer I'm after, that changed my success tenfold. A big mature okay. buck has lived his life living and living by his nose and trusting his nose. Right. You know, a big mature buck that's lived five or six seasons, 99% of the time is going to be using the wind when he's moving during daylight. Right. Okay. So, so why not give him the wind that he wants to make him feel comfortable enough to get up and move during daylight? The trick is you got to find a tree where you can get within bow range of him while he's using the wind to his advantage. Right. So how in the world do you do that? <laughs> Explain that to me. I'm trying to wrap my wee little head around this. Uh, that's in the book that I'll have to sell you. <laughs> no, no i'm just kidding i mean when, when you're when you're doing your scouting that's what i'm looking for i'm looking for a buck's weak spot right somewhere i can get within bow range of him while he's using the wind to his advantage that's not an easy thing to find no it's but not if, but if you get out there and look for it and you start you know looking at the trails and the scrapes and the rubs and trying to put his travel pattern together. You know, there are places where bucks have got to drop their guard a little bit, cheat the wind a little bit. You know, sometimes it'll be on a, on a funnel where they're forced to move through an area somewhere where they've got a turn in their travel pattern, um, you know, creek crossings, fence crossings, someplace that, they're cheating the wind just a little bit and you can get into that spot and be within bow range of him while he feels completely safe. Cause he's using the wind to his advantage and he feels like he's got, you know, got it licked. So a lot of times you're, you're probably looking for crosswinds in instead you're or set up for a crosswind rather than wind right in your, in your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're allowing that wind, that buck, assuming that he's going to be walking into the wind to his area where he wants to be, and you're trying to be set up right off the side of that. 
Yeah, man. It, I mean, there's there's stands that I've got where you're actually just splitting hairs with the wind direction. You know, five, ten yards one way or the other, and it's game over. Right, right. It can be that well, tight. Coming out of elk season this year, I, 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 uh, I basically came to the conclusion that I was stuck in a vortex of suck, and. Everywhere where I was walking, there was this vortex of suck that was sucking the air right over the top of my back everywhere that I went. Um, Being in places where I'm splitting hairs with that wind scares the heck out of me because there's there's a luck factor you've got to have in there. You got to make sure that it doesn't swirl, you know, at just the wrong time, you know, I guess you've just really got to study it and. Make sure that you're how how often do you bail out of a tree because it's shifted on you just a little bit, but knowing that you are often playing it real close like that. Yeah. Are you sitting there with a wind puffer bottle and puff, 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 puff? And as soon as that thing switches on you, you're bailing and saying, I gotta get the heck out of here or I'm gonna blow him. Well, I think I used to do that more than I do now, just for the simple fact that I think with uh with with some of the products available these days, you can get to be ozone generators and such. Pretty pretty darn scent free. I mean, nothing's a hundred percent. And I look at my scent regimen kind of like a it's it's more of a system than you know one thing. You know, I do everything I can to eliminate my scent, um, eliminate the scent on my gear. You know, I thought the whole ozone and ozonics thing was a was a gimmick until i started using one now i won't hunt without one you know yeah but i mean when you when you do everything to eliminate your own sin and you're covering yourself up with with ozonics or an ozone unit and um using good scent products you know that are the real deal yeah i it's it's uh that's about as bulletproof as you can be when it comes to being scent free Right. So I do everything I absolutely can. You know, it's like I said, it's not one thing. It's it's a whole system. But right. And I think it, that even though it's not eliminating it 100 percent, I think it brings it down to an acceptable level so that if a deer does get a little whiff of you, he might think that you're a couple hundred yards away. You sure. Know, instead of 30 yards away. Oh, crap. He's right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Um, what does it, just the 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 fast overview of your system? Give me the the key points of my sin elimination. Of your, uh, yeah, yeah. You mean like specific products or what? Uh, I'm yeah, yeah, what 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 you're doing, and yeah, your products that you like. Um, I really like the new phase system that uh, the guys from Illusion came out with. Mm-hmm. I really like that because it's. It's more of a salon um, <laughs> quality product. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know the old green stuff that we used to use all the time. You use sure. that. You use that for a month, and a good stiff wind will crack your skin, and you know, peeling and yeah. cracking. Just this stuff keeps you <laughs> keeps you moisturized. Right. Keeps, keeps you from cracking. Believe it or not, that's important because you know when your skin's really dry and you start flaking off and that dander's in the air, I mean, that's just more of your scent getting out there. Sure. So it's just, it's more of a high-end product 
that I right. think is better for your skin, keeps your skin moist so you're not drying up and flaking off dander everywhere into the air. So you're you're using a good scent-free product to shower in and, and shampoo in and things like that. And then yep. are, are you just spraying your clothes down? Are you, are, are you uh, using a charcoal bag or something like that every day? You know, anything that touches my skin... I wear it once and then and then it gets washed again. And that okay. used to be the way with everything. I mean, it seemed like I was doing laundry every day. But right. now with the um, the ozonics and the and the locker that they make, anything right. that doesn't touch my skin, I'll put it in the locker. You know, run it through a dry wash cycle, and it's good to go. And nuke it in there with the ozone generator. With right. Yeah. Yep. And then everything goes in a you know scent free bag until I get to the. Uh, till I get to the woods. Right. Um, you know, like I said, I'll use ozonics in the tree. They make a great backpack, by the way, for elk hunting. You should try. Yeah. Yep. I that, know that exactly which one you're talking about. Mounts it right behind your head. Well, I was thinking about coming out with a halo system and sticking a stick down my back and having it up here just like a halo above my head all the time. But it's it gets hard. It gets hard to do it when you're running and gunning. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, heck, it gets hard to put it in a tree stand. I remember when I first started using it, and I've had my aha moments, believe me, like, you know, I, I believe in the system, uh, in, in the technology. Um, but, man, when I first started using it, I was looking at it like, I need that box to take and screw into a tree every time I'm up there. Like I need a hole in the head. I've already, I already look like a Japanese tourist walking around with just every, a huge elk hunting backpack. It seems like for whitetail hunting, you know, um, but it, it's worth it. It's worth the product. It's worth the hassle for sure. Yeah. My backpack is ridiculously heavy. I mean, you got all your hunt gear, plus I'm filming myself. So I got my camera gear, camera arms. I mean, I'm I'm lugging a 40, 50 pound backpack out to go sit in a tree for three hours. Yeah. Try to kill a deer. It's ridiculous, but. I understand. I completely understand. Well, so this, this red moon weighs a lot into it too. So the scent prevention we were just talking about and that red moon. So long story short, it is the overhead and underfoot point where the moon gets closest to the earth. And the red moon is when those times of day, when the, earth, when the moon is closest to, to the earth, either overhead or underfoot, when it coincides with the peak hunting hours during the morning and the evening. And that usually it, it lasts for several days in a row. Yeah, you get a window of opportunity for, you know, four or five days where it's close, you know, within a couple hours, either side of uh, sunset, you know, before and after. Right. And, you know, that's that's the way I try to explain it to most guys. You're looking at a short window of opportunity. You might not have the right wind that you need, you know the first night or the first two nights of the red moon, you might have to wait three or four days for it, but you'll get a little window there of opportunity where you got to, um, you know, you got to have that good wind. Right. At the moon, you know, you might want to wait an extra day for that good weather pattern or for that barometric pressure to be up and just, you know, stacking everything in your favor. But yeah, on the, uh, on the moon guide app and the dial, the original dial, which we still sell, it gives you, it shows you all the red days each month. And then for each day, it gives you those two peak activity times 
for every day. And then also we took, Jeff took it a step further and gave hunting locations for those times because not so much early and late season when deer are on a strict feeding pattern. You, obviously you want to be right on the edge of the field, but you know, in November, what do you do in November? How do you hunt? When do you hunt? It's, it's all about time in the tree. But if a guy wants to plan an out of state hunt in November to take advantage of the rut, you know, how do you know what phase of the rut they're in? You know, are they, is it, are they chasing? Are they seeking? Are they locked down? You know, sure. when I, when I, when I kind of threw all that out the window, trying to figure that out and mm-hmm. just focused on peak activity times during daylight, mm-hmm. you can't kill them if they're not on their feet. So what right. days do you have your best chance of those deer up dur- moving during daylight? Cause if the does are up moving, the bucks are going to be up moving, following them or looking for them. So I really follow those peak activity times throughout the day in November. You know, there's going to be days where, that that uh, overhead or underfoot moon hits during the middle of the day. Well, you don't yeah. want to be uh, you don't want to be on the edge of a of a food source in the middle of the day. You need to be back in the cover, close to the bedding areas, or in right. those or in those little travel corridors between bedding areas. Right. So, depending on what time of the day those peak activity times hit, we also give kind of a general idea of where you need to be. Do you need to be on the edge of the field near the food? Do you need to be in transition zones connecting those areas? Do you need to be right in the bedding cover? So, we right. give all that information as well. And that uh, it's is the I would I would imagine that the app is a little bit robust, more robust than the wheel, but the wheel is just a real quick reference guide that you can pull out of a pack and check real quick. Correct? Yeah, and the, and the the wheel is based on Central Standard Time, so you know unless you're in Missouri, um, right? You've got to add and subtract a little bit, and then the app you know is more accurate because it's zip code specific. So you put your zip code in, and it'll give you right to the minute information for right where you're at right so when a guy is planning his week of vacation um well the number one thing that you'd recommend that they do is is look at those red moon times to figure out when they want to do it but how does the red moon coincide with things like say the full moon and what's the difference between paying attention to the, the, the overhead and underfoot um, key times versus moon phases. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the moon guys. And, and how should that weigh into the decision on when you're going to take your week? Right. Well, the moon guides based on the moon's position in the sky, not the phase. But okay. obviously it doesn't happen during the full moon and it doesn't happen during the new moon. It happens more in your quarter moons. You know, there's been, there's some well-known people in the hunting industry that talk about the days right before a full moon and right after a full moon. Well, that's your quarter moon and that's your overhead and underfoot moon, you know, when when they're peaking. So I, 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 for, for the last 10 to 15 years, I've been playing all my out of state hunts around the moon guide because like i said i want to stack the deck in my favor and make sure i have the best opportunity when i you know when i go a few hundred miles from home so that's the nice thing about the moon guide you know you can't forecast the weather months or weeks in advance but you can the moon you can forecast that a year in advance 
Sure. I have a lot of guys that swear by the moon guide that, you know, end of December, they're calling me and email me. When's the new moon guide going to be out? Cause I got, I got to put in for my vacation at work. Right. Right. You know, so you can, you can plan it that far in advance and, you know, nothing is a hundred percent, you know, like you said, the deer's got to be there for you to kill them. And there's so many factors, but why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you do everything you can to put everything in your favor? I mean, we all pay attention to the wind, you know, when yeah. we're deer hunting, we all yeah. pay attention to the weather. You know, those are just two aspects of mother nature. Why wouldn't you pay attention to the moon? Right. You know, why yeah. not? Well, I would wager to say that the three most popular weeks to take off for bow hunting whitetail are probably the last week of October. There's a mm-hmm. lot of guys that really like that week. The first week in November and the second week in November. Yeah. Okay. So my personal, if I'm going to be traveling someplace, it's like going to Kansas or something. Um, I like that first week in November. Yeah. I, 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 I like the rut activity that I've usually seen. I've seen, you know, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of bucks that are locked down on does just yet. You're kind of before that lockdown period in a lot of places. Um, so of all, the hunts, of all the hunts that you've scheduled out of state for that time, Right. Has it always been good every time you've done it? No, never. It, it, it's not. Yeah. yeah. That, it, it, what I was about to ask you is if I was to look on the moon guide and see that the last, like as much as I like that first week in November, I, I dislike the last week of October just as much. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't necessarily dislike that week at home where I'm more familiar with you know, where the deer are moving and, and just more familiar with the herd that I've got around here. Um, but when I go out of state, I've had some incredibly slow hunts on the last week of October. Yeah. Um, but if you were advising me and you, and I saw that there was a red moon during the last week of, of October and not one during the first week of November, do you, do you think it's worth my time to yeah. change that week? You got to adjust that. You have to. You got to adjust you, it. I'll give you a perfect example. So I've okay. been going to Kansas for the last 20 years. Yeah. All right? A couple years ago, well, a few years ago now, giant deer shows up third week of October on my camera out there. Middle of the night. Okay. No history on this deer whatsoever. Never seen him before. He just shows up out of nowhere. Most guys would have jumped in their truck and headed right out there. Mm -hmm. I got a 200 inch deer on my farm in Kansas. I got to go. The red moon was hitting towards the end of the first week of November. So I had two choices. I could either go the last week of October or I could wait another week and go the first week of November. Mm Mm-hmm. I opted for the first week of November because it was going to be getting good for evening hunts. Red moon was coming around the end of the week. I get out there. It's 85 degrees. Holy smokes. All week. Right. On the last week in November. First week. Or first week. Yeah, I'm sorry. First week in November. Deer are not moving. If they are moving, it's right at last light. 
by the fifth or sixth day when the red moon started hitting in the evenings, it had cooled off a little bit, but it was still high 70s, low 80s, right up until sunset. I killed the biggest deer of my life on the red moon, 80 degrees out, two hours before dark almost. No reason for that buck to be up moving in that heat. There, was, there, were no, there were no does coming into heat. That buck was up doing his thing. It was at least an hour and a half before dark. Like I said. And he wasn't with any other deer? It was just him? Just him doing his thing. No kidding. If I would have rushed out there the last week of October, that deer was showing up, you know, not every night, but pretty consistent three or four times a week, middle of the night. And the closer it got to that red moon, the closer he started moving to daylight right and even though with those really warm temperatures that deer ended up showing up broad daylight i wasn't even prepared when i saw that deer he was out moving so early really (laughs) caught me off guard i wasn't ready at all yeah and you know that's just one example but I mean, what, what kind of what kind of just out of curiosity's sake, what kind of cover was that deer in? Was it had he stepped out into a field or into a feeding area, or was he in a transition, or was he right on the edge of the bedding? I actually found a spot on the backside of this farm. It wasn't a really big farm. It was uh, like 160 acres, but it was in the middle of a block that was like two miles long and a mile wide. It was like a section out yeah. in Kansas, but it yeah. was right in the middle. And I feared that, that I didn't think that deer was living on that farm. He was coming in from a, some, somewhere else. So the two back corners of the farm, I figured was probably where he was coming in at. And one corner was just, you couldn't have created a better scenario, a better spot because there was two main fence lines intersecting. There was a Creek running through diagonally. So there was like six directions deer could come from. It was like the hub of that whole block. Right. And it was right on a Creek and the creeks out there are really deep because of erosion. You know, it was like 12 foot deep with two inches of water. So I could get in that Creek and walk 400 yards back into my stand in this little thicket along that Creek. I mean, it wasn't 40 yards wide with cover. But I could just pop right out of the creek up in my tree and nothing knew that I was there. Wow. And he just came. I'm not exactly sure which of the fence lines he came down because he showed up behind me directly downwind of me. And, you know, he, he was he was either coming from a woodlot or coming from woods across the field and it followed the fence into that corner. I'm not exactly sure which, but it was just in a little hub of activity where deer could come from any direction yeah yeah that's where he came through well that must have been an experience how big was that deer if he's your biggest he gross 220 221 goodness gracious goodness gracious i just just i just want to see one like that one day evan (laughs) (laughs) evan fell asleep in the corner Oh yeah, no. Actually, I think Evans, Evans having technical difficulties over here. Oh, is he? I was wondering why he, uh, why he hadn't been talking. <laughs> I, we, we've just so everyone knows, we've got a little screen here, and we can see Evan making gestures now, like my microphone's not working. So he's not usually this quiet. 
I was wondering. Well, um, let's see. So out of all these great big bucks that you've taken, is which one's, what's your favorite deer hunt that you've ever had? What's a, you know, if you had to pick one, what's your, what's the one that you're like, man, that was the best one ever. Yeah. That last one, the biggest one is, is pretty hard to beat. I mean, they're all special. Yeah. You know? Um, the, the first 200 inch deer I ever killed would probably have to be ranked right at top. You know, that was a buck that I knew of and had hunted him for a few years and, I wasn't after him because he was a 200 inch deer. He just happened to be 200 by the time I ended up killing him. You know, it only took me three years to finally get an arrow in that deer, but just right. the whole thing, you know, with waiting for the right wind. And, you know, that was, that was actually the first year I used the moon guide and, right. and Jeff talked me through it all. And I was anxious and ready to dive into that spot. And he convinced me not to, and convinced me to wait for the, the right wind and, and the moon and everything lined up. And, you know, when the first time you have a 200 inch deer walk in underneath you at 10 yards and stand there and work a scrape. And I mean, just uh, play the game and, and to see that and all unfold, you know, after hunting for, you know, who knows how long and never seeing a buck of that caliber. And I shot that deer and shot him a little far back and he jumped into a Creek and started walking down this Creek. And I'm like, man, that deer could follow this Creek for 10 miles. Yeah. And I wouldn't be able to know where he came out at. So I immediately got down and started following him and I came around a bend in that Creek and he was laying there with his head up. Yeah. You know, I think I'd probably hit him in the liver and he was, he was yeah. dead on his feet, but he wasn't dead yet. Right. And when I came around that bend and I had my arrow knocked, ready to put another one in him, that buck stood up and turned and started coming towards me. And I oh. just, I'd never forget that. So I ended up putting another arrow in him. But yeah, that was a, that was a really memorable hunt. Wow. Um, so what year was that? Or Nin- approximately? 1999. Wow. Oh, be darn. Um, so that was the first year that, that you started using really the, the moon guide from, from Phil or from, uh, from Jeff. Yep. First year. Yeah. And so I'm assuming that was an Ohio deer. Yeah. Out of your, out of your biggest bucks or, or how many of them are from Ohio from home around home? Um, of my 200s, I killed the one in Kansas and the other three are from Ohio. And then I've got 10 over 170. And I think three, Holy of, smokes. Yeah, three of them are from Kansas and the rest are from Ohio. Wow. Wow. So are those your favorite two states pretty much, Ohio and Kansas? Yeah, I love Kansas. Yeah. Yeah, I like Kansas too. Yeah. For nobody yeah. that's been out there, there's probably shouldn't say this but there's very limited pressure and deer still act like deer are supposed to act out there (laughs) they're not walking (laughs) around looking up in the tree they actually respond to rattling and calling and they'll come into a decoy and yeah it's the way it's supposed to be out there i did have one other question about moon phase and your opinion on what triggers i've heard i know you're not a biologist neither am i everyone's got their theory on what triggers does to go into estrus 
Um, I've heard theories about the length of day. I've heard theories about the moon. What's your What's your theory on it? I've always kind of paid attention to what uh, Charles Alzheimer wrote about was that, you know, your second full moon after the autumn equinox was what mm-hmm. kicked it off. And then 12 to 15 days after that was when you would have your lockdown. So I've kind of just always kind of followed that theory. I'm okay. sure that that, you know, that probably changes depending on where you're hunting at, what part of the country you're in. But like I said, I... Let's let's slow this down for the people that are as dumb as I am, okay? The autumn equinox. What is the autumn equinox? That's when you have the same amount of daylight and dark. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So right that right at that point where the day is the equal length during daylight and dark. Yep. The second full moon after that point yep. is is what Alzheimer uh, thought triggered the rut. Yep. Okay. And so the he according to his theory, the first does start coming in during that full moon. That and was, then, yeah, he said that's what triggered them to come in, and they would actually be bred about tw- ten to twelve days after that. Right. And and that's when the majority, majority and I've yeah. always I've always felt like that lockdown phase was when you had the most does in that area that were actually in estrus at that time because the, there was, you know, all of the bucks were locked down with a doe because there were so many in estrus, yeah. you know, that it were ready. Yeah. Um so 12 to 15 days after that second full moon is when the peak of the rut is when the the most does are in estrus, which also happens to be the time when it can be hardest to find a buck on his feet because they've all got does that are locked down. That's right. Yeah. So, but I mean, I always see, I'll, never fails every year in Ohio, I'll see a, a mature doe locked up with a buck last week of October. Never fails. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sure it happens for sure. Yeah. Um, I, <clears throat> I haven't seen that. I haven't really seen that happen till about November third, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I'm I'm sure that it does. Um, and where it, I know it varies from from state to state, Adam. But you you are are pretty diverse in that you hunt in you know quite a a pretty good stretch of Midwest. Um, <clears throat> Where, when do you think those younger bucks, you know, they always hit their feet during that last part of October and everybody's talking about the two-year-olds running around acting like the ruts on, but those older, more mature bucks, they, they seem to know to wait until the does actually start coming in. You know what I mean? Um, what point do you really typically think that is? Yeah. Is it? Is it right there, November 1st? I think it changes a little bit each year. Um, but like I said, I I racked my brain trying to figure that stuff out oh, years, yeah. years ago and just finally gave up on it. And when I quit trying to figure out when they were doing that and just, like I said, focused on daylight activity, that's when sure. I started having better luck in November. Right focused on the daylight activity yep. and focused on that 
on on catching that red moon and making sure that several of the pieces of the pie are coming together right there at the same time. I will tell you that in November, I've had my best luck when you get that overhead or underfoot moon peaking late morning, just after daylight. Really? Yeah. Anytime, let's say, you know, if if it's light out at 7 a.m., when you get an overhead or underfoot moon that hits at 8, 9, 10 o'clock, mm-hmm. those, that's when I've had my best luck catching those mature deer moving late in the morning. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, more so than when you catch a red moon that is in the in the evening. I yeah. mean, it can work either way, but those are seem to be golden. And actually, it works out kind of nice because your red moon occurs in the evening for the most part. So you'll get a window four, five, six days where evenings are great. And then it kind of flips to the morning hunts because right. then the moon is actually peaking just after daylight, right. you know, and even early season when I'll try to kill a big deer in the evening, two, two or three times, if I can't get it done and I know where that deer's bedding and I, I have a pretty good idea where I can be to try to kill him in the morning i'll wait until i get one of those late morning moon times that's your best chance of catching even on a on a strict feeding pattern your best chance of catching a big buck coming back to bed just a little bit later it's right it's it's really hard to catch a big deer in the morning coming in late when all he's doing is feeding you know they're almost always back in their bed right right before it's light out yeah, or I, right, you, you got that golden two minutes yeah. that you can see, and you you see him moving back into that bedding cover. Yep. If I'm going to take a chance on a morning hunt, I'm going to make sure I have a, a peak activity time one, two hours after daylight. So one other question just popped into my mind. Let's say that you are stuck um, and you're going to have to hunt over a full moon. Mm-hmm. Um how do you approach that? It's midday activity. Midday. So yeah. all day sits. All day sits or forget about your typical morning and evening hunts and hunt that 10 to 2 window. Right. Or and if it's if it's a bedding area situation, go in in the morning and sit until noon, 1, 2 o'clock and maybe, you know, pick another stand to go to for an evening hunt. Right. You know, get down at one or two if you got to. It's tough to sit all day. I mean, I've done it before and I had success with it, but that is not the easiest thing to do. No, it's really hard. It's it's a whole lot easier than sitting in a sweltering antelope ground blind over a water hole, I can tell you that. But <laughs> I, I just like being up in that tree to where I can at least see and amuse myself a little bit. Um, but uh, but it is hard, especially on a cold day. Yeah, you know, absolutely. That's where it gets, that's where it gets really tough. Well, I think um, I think that probably about does it, Adam. Uh, for anyone who's interested in getting a hold of Adam's Moon Guide, um, you go to moon, moonguide.com. Um, you need to check his show out um, it, on the Pursuit channel, um, Team 200. Um, you can stream the shows on uh, Waypoint TV as well. They're all, all seven seasons are available through Waypoint. Okay. Um, and if you just Google Adam and 
watch some of his YouTube videos and see some of these deer, you're going to understand what kind of credibility this guy has when he, when it comes to talking about giant deer. Um, I, I don't know. There's very few people on the continent who rival him. I, I can tell you that. Um, so if you visit moonguide.com, you can either get a hold of the moon guide wheel, uh, that basically is something that you can put in your pack, you can put in your truck, you can put it on the refrigerator, and you just spin this little wheel to the date that it is. And like he said, it's it's based on central time, so you're going to have to uh, reduce or add an hour depending upon where you are in the country. Um, but it's a very quick little reference. Uh, if you want to go further than that, uh, you when you go to moonguide.com, you, his app is available on there. Um, and you can download the Moon Guide app. There is a, is it a one-time subscription, Adam? It's a yearly subscription because that, that information changes every year. Sure, sure. So it's an annual subscription. And so for every single day, you can take a look and see what the prime times are. When that overhead and underfoot time is, you can plan your trips way out ahead of time uh, based on uh, based on what Adam's talking about here by identifying those red moons, what he terms as a red moon. Uh, it makes it quick, easy, and simple. And nobody here should argue with him about whether it's effective or not because <laughs> the proof is in the pudding so we thank you for coming on adam on hoyt on behalf of hoyt and silent evan williams over in the corner <laughs> thank you everybody for joining us today thanks guys we will see you on the next episode see you later 